All highest glorious God, cast your light into the darkness of our hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We inhabit a world that brags and boasts. Commercials bombard us. Bumper stickers declare, my son is an incredible hulk. My anorexic doctor is, daughter is a high fashion model. A signboard proclaims the world's largest junk heap. It looks as if our need to boast drives us. Scramble to the top of the sales chart so we can increase your quota. Win that scholarship, even if you have a nervous breakdown doing it. Run faster, work harder. We're constantly under pressure. Yesterday, I put on my socks, and I looked down, and there right across my toes was an admonition. No nonsense. (laughs) Why? So we can boast? So the annual Christmas letter can be a veritable fanfare of trumpets about kids and dogs? But even as we strive for trophies... Letters, corner offices, titles, bragging rights. The horizon recedes. We never get there. There's always something else. But on Good Friday, in this holy place, within these walls, so soaked with prayers for many years, we get to stop. To be with Jesus and sort out what is really, really worth living for. Soon we're going to sing a familiar hymn which reflects just such an experience. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts. The second verse of that hymn talks about boasting and it says this. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my God. This is an echo of Galatians 6.14, where the Apostle Paul writes, May I never boast of anything except the cross of Christ. Nothing but the cross? Surely that's extreme. Now, of course, Paul was a Mediterranean man, so we expect a little exaggeration from him. But Isaac Watts was an Englishman. And certainly both had other things to boast of. Paul, his lineage, his education, his leadership, his church planting, his brilliant mind. And Isaac Watts, well, born in uh, 1674, Isaac Watts, by the time he was five, had mastered Latin. And within another three or four years, he added Greek, Hebrew, and French to his linguistic uh, palette. In those days, the Church of England was singing only metered psalms. And one day on the way from her church, young Isaac complained to his father that he found those boring. So his father said, okay, if you think you can do better, see what you can do. So he did. (laughs) He wrote 600 hymns and changed the course of English hymnody forever. And yet Watts along with Paul says, may I never boast in anything but the cross of Christ. But boast? 
Now, all of us who have been well brought up knowing know that boasting is vulgar, especially for Christians, because we're committed to humility, following the example of our Lord, as did Paul. So what does Paul mean? While boasting usually has negative connotations, it need not. If you go to the Oxford English Dictionary, our authority on language, it says that boast may simply mean to speak with pride, not self-praise, but to speak with pride in and praise of someone or something else. In our case, the cross of Christ. But what about the extravagance? Only the cross? What in the world could possibly generate such total, absolute, reckless, all-out dedication? I can tell you what won't. You may know that in order to be ordained, a deacon or a priest has to undergo an array of exams. When I was the examiner in systematic theology, I might ask the ordinand, to name and define various theories of the atonement. That is, just how did the death of Christ on the cross accomplish our salvation? We believe that Christ bore our sins and the sins of the entire world and thus delivered us from death, but how exactly does that work? Well, let me tell you, the problem with theories is that they can delude you into thinking that you really get it. It would be like taking a course in music theory and never listening to a piece of music. You can learn all the theories and you can read all the commentaries, but your reading will not bring you into the kingdom of God. The theories are brain, the cross is heart. Study informs. The cross transforms. The unfathomable love of God, the love which alone accomplishes our salvation, is in the realm of mystery, far beyond our human rationality. We can never explain a mystery. We can only enter it. So let's do it. The first verse of the hymn points the way. When I survey, and that means to look at carefully, when I survey the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died. So let's do it. Let's go to Calvary and survey the wondrous cross. To get ready, I suggest that we each gather up all the trinkets and trophies of our potential boasts. Family videos, designer labels, degrees, Certifications, transcripts, brokerage statements, deeds, titles. Mentally stash those all in your backpack. I will too. Okay. Now when we get to Calvary, the first thing we notice is the execution squad of Roman soldiers. In our minds, we revisit a scene from earlier today. Pilate turns Jesus over to be flogged. Now, the leather whip that they use for flogging has several strands, and at the end of each strand, there's a piece of broken glass or metal. And so what they do is 
strike the victim with a whip and then drag the the whip across his back so that each piece of metal and glass scrapes his flesh. Strike and drag. Strike and drag over and over. Many prisoners died from flogging. Jesus, the strong carpenter, did not. So now an entire cohort, 150 men, gang up on him and mock him. They punch him. They find a purple toga, purple for royalty, and force it onto his torn and bleeding back. A king must have a crown. So they take huge long thorns and jam it onto his head. Blood flows down across his eyes. A king needs a scepter, so they put a reed into his hand. And they kneel and shout, Hail, King of the Jews! And they roar with laughter and they spit upon him. Finally, they strip off the toga, force his own crumpled robe onto his throbbing body, and march him through the streets to Calvary. Here, they pull the robe off. Little bits of flesh come with it. They stretch out his body on splintered wood. One soldier stands with a boot on Jesus' midriff while the others cross his ankles and drive a spike through them, then stretch out his arms as far as possible and drive long nails into his wrists. Then they drop the cross into the ground with a bone-shaking thud. Stripped of his clothing... Jesus is also stripped of his dignity. His humiliation is total. They have crucified the young king who, if he wanted to, could summon thousands of angels to rescue him. They roll dice for his robe. They sit and watch. How horrible. But wait. The Roman soldiers represent power, economic, political, military power that laughs at love and spits on what it cannot understand. Today, you and I are the power people and must ask ourselves, have we ever for one moment been dazzled by power? Ever lived in comfort, built upon the backs of exploited workers? Gambled with the earth's resources to support our lifestyle? Been so busy doing our jobs or playing our games that, like these Roman soldiers, we have detached from suffering and injustice? But what about Jesus' own people? Well, the temple establishment are here to relish the defeat of the upstart rabbi. They fling into his face his messianic claims. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, those are the very words of the tempter at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. What a temptation. 
Jesus, why writhe in agony on your cross when you could so easily, so miraculously, so spectacularly come down and destroy your enemies? Of all the miracles of Jesus, perhaps the greatest one is the miracle not done. He hangs there. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Ironically, they're right. If he wants to accomplish our salvation, he cannot rescue himself. To save other human beings, he has to undergo that most human of experiences, death. Of course, we would never make fun of our Savior. And yet, and yet, has there never been a moment when you and I have thought, if you really are the Son of God, Or, Jesus, if you are really who you say you are, show me your power. And finally, we stand at the cross with Mary and John. We don't really want to look, but we must. We see first his feet crossed and nailed. And we remember those very feet dancing at a wedding, striding from village to village, Walking on water, waves around the ankles where now there's blood. Look up at his hands. Remember those hands lifting up Jairus' daughter, breaking bread, blessing children, healing, restoring sight to the blind, inviting, come to me. Now he can't even flick that fly off his face or wipe the blood and sweat from his eyes. And finally, we must look into that face. Psalm 2711 says, You have said in my heart, seek your, my face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Is this the face we seek? purple with bruises, raw where his beard has been pulled out. The psalm also says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord. Is this the fair beauty of the Lord? This face so defaced, Yes, it is. This is it. The face of God, creator and redeemer. Real, not theoretical. Personal, not philosophical. The ultimate reality, far beyond any of the 12 dimensions that modern science posits. Look into the eyes of Jesus suffused with pain and what do you see love absolute love only love love so amazing so divine and at last we get it this is what defines me this is what I live for 
So there's only one thing to do, you know. Open that bag and dump that stuff. Dump that stuff. The trinkets and the trophies into a heap at the foot of the cross and leave them there. And walk away singing, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the cross of Christ, my God. And re-enter our 21st century world resolved, the cross. This is what I'll talk about. This is what I'll post on my wall. This will be my banner and my logo. This will be the marker on the doorposts of my home and the theme of the beauty within. To this cross I bow, and with this sign I mark myself. Only the cross. Amen.